Namaste everyone. Welcome back to this session on the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali. Let us begin with an invocation. Om Yogena Chittasya Padena Vacham Malam Sharirasya Chavaidhyakena Yopakarotamam Pravaram Muninam Patanjalim Paranjali Ranatosmi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Hari Om In the past sessions, we have been looking at some of the sutras and delving deeper into the meaning of the sutras from the perspective of Vyasa Maharishi's Bhashya and also Vachaspati Mishraji's, you know, gloss or what you can say a further addition to what or clarification to what Vyasa Bhashya talks about. And we saw that yoga is the state of Samadhi where it's a completely unified experience and which is free from the vrittis or the modifications of the mind. As I told you before or as you have already experienced, the moment you close your eyes, there are so many things that are going on in your mind. There is this constant chatter that happens. There are so many impressions that play out in terms of images and sounds and all that. And those happen in the dream state as well. So through the interaction of the senses, uh, whenever we interact through the senses uh, with the world, a lot of impressions are formed, which are called samskaras. There is, of course, the smriti or memory which is created. But when the memory deepens, they become deeper impressions called samskaras, which can fructify either in this lifetime or can play out at any different point in time. And that is one of the reasons why it is very important to develop the right kind of samskaras. Samskaras are very deep things. And then they actually flower when the right environment is provided. So they, it is important that the right set of samskaras are cultivated. In the Yoga Sutra, Maharishi Patanjali later on talks about two aspects. He talks about Bhava Pratyaya and Upaya Pratyaya. Bhava Pratyaya are those, uh, it happens, it's a, a thing that happens to people. Uh, as soon as they are born, they get this realization. They get this experience of samadhi as soon as they are born in the sense, not as a baby, but without any prior sadhana in this particular lifetime. And upaya pratyaya is actually a systematic process of sadhana in order to achieve the goal of samadhi or, uh, you know, achieving the, uh, you know, what you can say, the samadhi in the sapta bhumis. There are different levels that he talks about, which we will look at later. So the bhava pratyaya, if you look at because of the birth, that samskara, it flowers and then they experience the state of samadhi. So it doesn't mean that they haven't put in effort, just that they have put that effort at some point in time, could be in a past lifetime, could be any past lifetime. So you would say, see that we are, we can be assured that none of our efforts in this direction goes waste. Even if it is a little bit of meditation every day, even if it is a little bit of yogic practices every day, even if it's a little bit of, uh, you know, say puja or remembering the divine, remembering the ancestors, helping our fellow human beings, 
all these samskaras always have a positive effect on us and none of this goes waste. They can come handy at any point in time. So focusing on them is very important and that is what the samadhi pada, the sadhana pada all talk about. Sadhana pada is the means to attain such a goal. What can we do to attain such a goal is what is mentioned in the sadhana pada of the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali. So we were looking at the state of samadhi and we were chanting the sutras and we also looked at what are the different sources of knowledge in the Yoga Shastras. If you take the uh, philosophical system of yoga, there are three valid sources of knowledge. Pramana, uh, I mean, sorry, Pratyaksha, Anumana and Agama. Whereas if you look at Nyaya Darshana, the sources of knowledge will be in terms of Pratyaksha, Anumana, Upamana and Shabda Pramana. So like that, each philosophical system, there are valid, different valid sources of knowledge. For example, in the Charvaka system, as I already told you, only Pratyaksha is accepted. Only when you see with your own eyes or experience with your own senses, that is, that is declared to be a valid source of knowledge. All other sources here and say is not accepted. So it's a very different process of experimentation where you put everything to test and realize it for yourself. In a way, modern science resembles this because it asks you to keep on questioning and put everything into test. So even if I say, tell people I am in the deep state of Samadhi, then somebody in that scientific school of thought will ask me, what is the proof that you are in the state of Samadhi? If I say I experience uh, you know, very peaceful states, then immediately the question is, what is the proof that you are not sleeping and you are meditating? Did you connect? Did you check the waves, brain waves? Uh, did you, uh, you know, do this particular sign? Did you answer this question? So the scientific study always wants to get the pratyaksha view of things, not agama, not shabda pramana, relying on others' words. So these are different knowledge systems, and we'll delve deeper into these in today's session. Uh, before that, we'll just have a two-minute uh, meditation. You can close your eyes and sit in a comfortable position. And as I mentioned, each part of the body consciously relax the same. Relax your feet, calf muscles, thighs, hip, chest, shoulders, arms, neck, face. We can do a mild Ujjayi Pranayama. The, in Ujjayi Pranayama, the inhalation is normal. But when you exhale, you can make a slight hissing sound from your throat. For example, if you open your mouth and say, the same sound, you have to produce it by closing your mouth. Basically, it opens up the pit of the throat and you make a hissing sound from there. Okay. So what you can do is you can inhale to a count of four and exhale to a count of eight without holding the breath. You can do it on your own. The counting can be like this, for example. 
You can have a mental count and do about 10 rounds of Ujjayi Pranayama. Once you complete the 10 rounds, you can blow out an imaginary candle in front of you. Till all the lungs from the air come out. And then you can be in silent meditation for some time. You would see that because of the pranayama, you feel very relaxed. And also there are moments when there are no thoughts that are passing. And when these pauses or the thoughtless state pervades the entire chitta, it is called nirodha parinama. It takes some effort Abhyasa and Vairagya to achieve those states. But you get a glimpse through these practices.
You can gently open your eyes. You can chant the sutras that we looked at till now. Atha yoga nushasanam. Atha yoga nushasanam. Yoga shchitta vritti nirodhaha. Yoga shchitta vritti nirodhaha. Tadadrashtu swarupe vasthanam. Tadadrashtu swarupe vasthanam. Vritti sarupya mitaratra. Vritti sarupya mitaratra. Klishta klishtaha Vrittayaf panchataya klishta klishtaha Pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidras vrittayaha Pramana viparyaya vikalpa nidras vrittayaha Pratyakshanumanagama Pramanani Pratyakshanumanagama Pramanani. These are the sutras that we looked at till now. And more or less, when you read the sutras, you will be sort of able to recollect what we looked at in the previous sessions. So that way, it is useful, for example, to spend the next week learning some of the sutras by memory. In fact, this can form a nice new year effort as well. We looked at this particular sutra in the towards the end of the previous session. Pramana, Viparyaya, Vikalpa, Nidra and Smriti are the five vrittis. And what is Pramana? Pratyakshanumana Gama Pramanani. What are the three different sources of valid knowledge? Pratyaksha, which happens direct cognition through the senses. We see something, we hear something, we touch something, we taste something and we smell something. And what happens in modern science, if you look at the way it is described, our sensory memory captures this. So there are some receptors on the skin and different uh, senses. And these re receptors get triggered and then the signals are sent to the brain. There is something called sensory memory which actually captures these senses. And then it some processing happens and then these samskaras are impressioned as short-term memories. It could be even called smriti. Some memory is created out of it. But what happens is that if these get repeated, then deeper memories are formed, which eventually become samskaras. Okay, that is what modern science says. When that loop continues, then it is pushed from short-term memory to long-term memory through the process of repetition. Even in the Yoga Sutra, it talks about 
Abhyasa and Vairagya. Abhyasa is the process of repetition, doing it for a long period of time. And this short-term memory gets converted into long-term memory. Just that in the Indian context, when we say long-term memory, it is not restricted to one lifetime. It extends to multiple lifetimes. So, pramana is valid knowledge or real or direct cognition. Viparyaya is unreal cognition. Vikalpa is imagination. Nidra is sleep and smriti is memory. In Pratyaksha, there are three aspects, which is perceptual cognition, which happens through the senses directly. And Anumana is inferential cognition and Agama is verbal testimony. Somebody had a question. What is Agama? It is verbal testimony. The Shabda Pramana or the Vakya of a reliable person. That is called uh, Agama. Whatever statements are given out by people in authority or people of authority, those are the Agama or Shabda Pramana. Because they have gone through an experience, because they have drawn their own inferences, they create a body of knowledge which we all access, which we don't yet have experience about. If somebody says, have you experienced E is equal to MC squared? We will say, no, sir, I have not put it to test in the lab. I don't have the equipment to test it. But Albert Einstein has told, I have faith in him and I have the faith in the Shastras that he has given. And hence, I also believe that E is equal to MC squared. So it means because we believe and trust in that body of knowledge, we read it or hear it and then accept it as a valid source. Okay. So uh, just one question. Then Pratyaksha includes uh, Agama then? Yes, because in a way, if you see, the Agama is, is the Pratyaksha of somebody else. Yeah, that's why. Yes. So okay. that is why in, in certain, uh, you know, certain, what you can say, <clears throat> certain philosophical systems, only Pramana is accepted because Agama is also Pratyaksha. Sorry, only Pratyaksha is accepted because Agama is also Pratyaksha in a certain way. Anumana also assumes a, uh, you know, Pratyaksha because, for example, you see a fire and smoke in the mountain and you, you declare that the mountain is on fire. How do you declare that mountain is on fire? Because somewhere you have cognized or somebody has seen that always there is fire when there is smoke. So that is also somebody's Pratyaksha which is actually playing out as inference at a later point in time. So that way Pratyaksha is a very, very valid uh, source that way. The Anumana all support this particular process. So that way, many philosophical systems accept only Pratyaksha as the valid source of knowledge. But Anumana and Agama are useful. That, that separation is useful. You would see that when we go deeper into the Nyaya Shastra or Yoga Shastra or whatever, then we would see that, yes, these, these two things actually make sense. It is important to have a separate category for this. So this Pratyaksha in Western philosophy can be equalized with the empirical Ah, yes, empirical, yes. Okay, okay, thank because you. Because you experiment, you put it to test, and then you draw some conclusions based on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, perception is gaining knowledge by focusing on the Vishesha Guna and Samanya Guna of a particular thing. For example, as I, as I already told you, looking at a mammal, a mammal is a generic property, a cow, horn, skin, the dewlap in the neck, all that you look at and say, yes, this is a desi cow. Then it means the specific guna. 
and through the senses, the impression is formed in the chitta. And anumana is inference, that is understanding through the commonalities of objects belonging to the same category. You make some inferences. And qualities of the objects that are not shared among the other objects. So whatever is common between two objects, you based, you infer something like that. For example, this is what is given in the Vyasa Bhashya. You see a mountain and you infer that it will not move because you see similar objects like a rock or a hillock or a mound, they don't move. So you make a conclusion, the mountain also will not move because it belongs to the same category. And you will see a different category, a cow, a cow moves. So the mountain is not belonging to that category, like an animal or a, uh, or a whatever mammal or whatever it is. So you classify a mountain to be an immovable thing based on this, this particular knowledge. So that is inference. Or you actually make this uh, thing because of uh, what you can say a valid or a long lasting relationship between these two objects. For example, smoke and fire, they are always tied together. Uh, they, you know, in Nyayasha, we'll, we'll look at some examples from Nyayasha as well. Pot and potness, there is an inherent relationship with that. So that way you infer based on those inherent relationship, you infer based on those relationships that are closely tied. If there is smoke, then there should be fire over there because you know, because of some prior knowledge. But wherever there is fire, that need not be smoke. For example, in the kitchen, you are cooking LPG stove, there is fire, but smoke does not come out there. Right? So in Pratyaksha, you see the fire directly. In Anumana, you infer that there is fire because you are able to see only the uh, smoke over there. So direct perception of that particular object does not happen. So when knowledge is transmitted by a trustworthy person, it is called Agama or Shabda Pramana. A trustworthy person is one who is free from defects such as illusion, laziness, deceit, delvitedness. So imagine the qualities that one has to possess if one has to become a teacher. Very difficult going by this description of who is a trustworthy person. Why is such a trustworthy person important? I clearly remember during my engineering days, I was studying about neural networks. And uh, we used to study it from the textbook and uh, somebody used to explain it to us. And they will always talk about this layer, this layer, the back propagation layer, this layer, and that layer. And I just couldn't make sense of what is this layer. Because in the book, when I look at it, there will be a diagram, layer, 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 like that it will be given there. And I had no idea because see, in those days when we were doing engineering, we will have a set of 10 programs uh, to code. Only those programs we will code in the lab. Only those programs will come in the examination. And only the placement will be a different process. So what happens? I have never seen. I just read layer, layer, layer. I was not able to make out what head or tail of it. But then when I actually went to a, you know do my research project at the end of uh, the three years of education during a final year project, then I actually coded some of the radial basis function or whatever. You know, I don't, I don't remember much of it now. But then that is when I actually understood what a layer is. It's actually a, it's actually a, a code that sits somewhere, right? It, it's actually a code that sends out uh, the, you know, say, for example, back propagation, whatever the feedback loop that knowledge is developed, it sends it back to the network through that code. And then the system learns through that. The neural network learns through that process. 
But because it was given like this in terms of a picture and a few sentences, I did not develop the right mental model of what actually a layer is. If only someone had told me it is nothing but code, this is how, this is a sample layer, this is what it uh, looks like. Then an accurate mental model would have been, have, you know, I would have gotten an accurate mental model. Later on in my uh, you know, tenure as a faculty and a researcher of cognitive sciences, I used to work in a research lab where science experiments were created as simulations. And the simulations were so wonderful because they actually provided a clear mental model of what exactly happens to a particular uh, substance when, uh, you know, when it goes through an experimental process. So the simulation added one more layer to the dimension of teaching because it brought us closer, though it is not the accurate thing, it brought us closer to that accurate thing. So when we say Shabda Pramana, if somebody, if a guru is there or if an acharya is there in a gurukulam or ashram or whatever, if they have to talk about the truth, satya, if they talk, to, talk about atma, atma, darshana, then they have to give the right pointers so that they you develop a right understanding of what they are actually talking about. That vritti that is there in the uh, person who is imparting the knowledge, the same vritti should be invoked in your mind as well, in your chitta as well. Then it means that you have developed an accurate mental model of the same. So that is called Shabda Pramana. So all that we hear as knowledge need not be Shabda Pramana because it, it might have a lot of defects. It might be illusory. It might be um, deceitful in nature. But when it is put to proper test, accepted by the authorities, and then it gives you the right understanding that is called Shabda Pramana. And there are a lot of uh, debates about is Shruti or the Vedas a Shabda Pramana because where is this Pratyaksha or Anumana? Who, has, who knows whether the God has seen it or not? We don't know about it. But then the answer is also that because it is Ishwara, we know the qualities of Ishwara. They go beyond the senses. They go beyond the Gunas. Hence, whatever the Ishwara says is accepted as a valid Shabda Pramana and hence the Vedas are Shruti. They are Shabda Pramana. That is what has been analyzed by certain commentators. So in the Vyasa Bhashya, he, he says that Pratyaksha is superior because the other sources are based on it. Just now, sir, I had asked a question. Uh, isn't it uh, Pratyaksha? Yes, everything seems to be Pratyaksha because Anumana and Agama ultimately are Pratyaksha. Anumana is dependent on Pratyaksha. Agama is the Pratyaksha of someone else reliable. And we talked about Charvaka. So Yoga has these three sources of knowledge. So we looked at uh, pramana, Pratyakshanumana Gamaf Pramanani. The second vritti is Viparyaya. Viparyayo Mitya Jnana Matadrupa Pratishtham Viparyayo Mitya Jnana Matadrupa Pratishtham Viparyaya is error. Mitya is false. Jnanam is knowledge. Atadrupa pratishtam means it is not imposed on that original form, but you actually attribute it to something else. Tatrupa, not tatrupa, atatrupa on something else, which is not that. Right? So, erroneous perception is considering something as what it is not. I look at a tree. I think it is a lamppost then it means it's an erroneous perception. Because whatever it is not, I am declaring it to be that. 
it is not a lamp post but i think it's a lamp post so it is erroneous perception but it is also it's called viparyaya because there is an opportunity for you to disprove it when you provide the right knowledge somebody will tell me see closer this is actually a tree see it has leaves it has it has a trunk can you see properly then i, I zoom it and then see oh yes it's actually a tree it's not a lamp post somebody can prove it so in in the vyasa bhashya this example is given when somebody is not in the right state of mind they see two moons right and they see two moons they declare yes the earth has two moons but then this is create this creates a vritti but that is different from the right knowledge but once somebody says no the earth has uh, you know only one moon please see it in the right state of mind so when you are okay when you see the moon you see only one moon then it is proven and hence you know that whatever the two moon concept is an erroneous or a false knowledge such mis misconceptions and apprehensions we actually have a lot the very classic example that vedanta talks about of course the rope and snake is there and the silver and the mother of pearl or the shell right tavat satyam jagat bhati shuktika rajatam yatha yavanyayate brahma sarvadhishtanam advayam so as long as the world appears to be real vedanta calls it unreal like the mother of pearl appears as silver so long that brahman cannot be realized because it is it is the substratum of all and one without a second it is advayam so what happens when we consider this like we consider the shell to be silver for example you are walking on a beach far away you see something shining you grow close to it thinking it's silver then you pick it up and then say actually it's a shell which is shining like silver and then you have an erroneous perception there so similarly vedanta says advaita vedanta says this entire reality is actually unreal but you perceive it to be real as long as that perception is there it is very difficult to realize that brahman because the brahman is a unifying thing which is a substratum of all and it is without the second so this is what vedanta talks about so there are erroneous perceptions at different levels even attributing some quality to somebody which they are not that is also erroneous perception about somebody's mental qualities about personalities or even assuming ourselves to be the body to be the mind that is also in a way erroneous perception right there are at different levels avidya is also there and uh, uh, vyasa maharishi talks clearly it says that this erroneous perception occurs because of the kleshas avidya smita raga dvesha and abhinivesha these these cause this such an erroneous perception to happen and in the sankhya karika there there actually all these knowledge systems converge so it is always useful to explore some of these knowledge systems people who have read a little bit of yoga sutra i would definitely recommend you to read the sankhya karika as well now these these are definitely complex but what i would suggest is that to patiently you know go through some of these translations so that whatever some of the aspects that we don't understand in the yoga sutras directly for example you know many people have this question uh, you know the, it talks about videhas and prakriti layas 
all of a sudden in the yoga sutra it talks about videhas who don't have a body and prakriti laya who have dissolved in the prakriti but there is no explanation as to what are or who are these people in some aspect of um, you know, sankhya karika there are some clarifications that are available so the sankhya karika actually acts as a nice uh, what you can say blends well with the yogic system and clarifies many of the aspects that are present in the yoga sutra so when we talk about viparya of course this is spoken this particular uh, verse is spoken in a slightly different context in terms of when we cognize things but nevertheless it is useful here why do we actually uh, have erroneous cognition this can be one clue atidurat samipyat indriya ghatat manonavasthanat saukshmyat vyavadhanat abhibhavat Atidurat is very far away. Because of that, you will not be able to see something and then you think, uh, you attribute it to something else. Like I told you. I see a tree and I think a lamppost because my eyesight is not uh, clear. Or if it is also in terms of, uh, you know, uh, excessive distance, one is proximity. If it's too near also, it's difficult. Impairment of the senses, that can also happen. And it can also happen because of absent-mindedness. Because I'm thinking of something else, my mind is not focused here. I actually attribute it to something else. And uh, it can also be because of subtlety so thin that I'm not able to perceive it properly. Our intervention, there is something that is uh, hiding. Or there are many other objects that come in the way because of which I am not able to see. And intermixture with similar, similar objects. There is one tree, one lamppost, all looking very similar. I am not able to make sense of it. So even the erroneous perception has different causes. Broadly, we can say uh, it can happen at the level of the body, right? Uh, because of my eyesight, my vision is not proper. It can happen at the level of the mind because my emotions are not okay. I'm not feeling very... Uh, you know, uh, proper. So what happens even a situation, I can perceive it completely incorrectly. Or it can happen at the level of intellect where I, I am not able to, I, do, I don't know the difference between a lamppost and a tree. Nobody has taught me what a tree is. And hence, I, I think the, the lamp the tree is to be a lamppost. That can also happen. So like that, there are different categories of erroneous perception. So we looked at Viparyaya. Viparyaya is the, uh, what you can say, erroneous is false knowledge stemming from the incorrect apprehension of something, right? Because we have saw it, saw it something else. There is incorrect perception of something. And this incorrect perception can be due to different reasons. And the next vritti is Vikalpa. So you have Pramana, Viparyaya and Vikalpa. Vikalpa is Shabda Jnananupati Vastu Shunyo Vikalpaha Shabda Jnananupati Vastu Shunyo Vikalpaha Shabda is words. Jnananupati is uh, actually, it's like a you know, sentence or usage of the words. Vastu Shunyo Vikalpaha Vastu shunyaha means actually that object is not there in the reality. It's devoid of an actual object. But there are a string of words are just there. So imagination consists of the usage of words that are devoid of an actual object. This is one way to translate it. 
what is the vyasa bhashya talk about this suppose we are referring to the purusha and we say consciousness is the essence of purusha then we are referring to consciousness uh, or the purusha possessing something right or the relationship between consciousness and purusha like the cow of chaitra we say the cow is chaitra's cow like that we are associating consciousness and purusha whereas in reality consciousness is nothing but purusha right but we give a wrong relationship there because in reality consciousness is purusha but we call it consciousness is the essence of purusha when words are used like this where there is nothing actually in reality then it is called vikalpa other examples sun rises and sets the words actually they make sense in a way but in when you go to the reality of it you understand i know astronomy cosmology or whatever it is you would see that the sun never sets or rises all that is happening is the earth is rotating about its axis because of which we perceive the sun to be setting and rising so in reality it is not there but it is used as a set of words to convey something right that is called vikalpa time flies we say time is not flying anywhere time is just eternal there is an eternal now but because we perceive as it as events and as if it is moving linearly we perceive that it is flying it is passing and passing right so some commentators also point to invoking the thoughts of non existent objects as vikalpa for example uh, black swan it does not exist in reality but it is a term that is used so you it invokes some object in your mind as soon as i say say black swan it immediately what comes to your mind a swan that is black in color it invokes that particular image so that is also vikalpa so it is imagination in a way because the words are there but the corresponding object is absent over that is called vikalpa so you might be wondering why this yoga session is sounding like a cognition and linguistics session but we as we invoked in the beginning we see that patanjali maharishi was a linguist in the sense he was a grammarian that way where he created the system of grammar for the purity of the words and uh, the system of yoga for purity of the chitta and all that and hence these these dimensions are not different from each other because the indian philosophical system talks about how do we actually perceive these things and then how do we transcend these perceptions developing the right perception and then also so this is these are some verses from uh, the uh, tarka sangraha of uh, annam bhatta and it talks about the true kind of experience and uh, whatever is created or memories that are created samskara matra janyam gnanam smritihi tad bhinnam gnanam anubhavah so what it says is that whatever is created caused by impressions alone left behind by the experiences so when there are experiences there are impressions that are left behind that is called smriti and whatever is not remembrance is direct experience which is anubhava and this can be true or false that is what they talk about and a true experience happens when the qualifier is its known locus tadvati tatprakarako anubhavo yathartaha saiva prameti uchyate 
But when you see that particular qualifier in a different locus, that is called false knowledge. That is what we looked at is in terms of viparyaya, pramana and viparyaya, right? A false cognition is that experience which reflects qualifier in a locus, which in fact possesses absence of that particular qualifier, that is erroneous cognition. These are some technical definitions that are useful for students of reasoning and analysis. Tad bhavavati. ಸಂಥಿಂಗ್ So in Nyaya, it talks about true cognition, Pratyaksha, Anumana, Upamana and Shabda Pramana. Pratyaksha happens through the senses, contacts of senses with the objects. Anumana, it talks about Swartha and Parartha. Swartha Anumana means I see this particular uh, you know, smoke on the mountain and I infer that there is fire there. That is, I am doing that particular inference. But suppose I have to convey that to you. I call you to my side and then show you. See, I know I'm telling you there is smoke, there is fire on the mountain. Because there is smoke, then it means parartha. This parartha is composed of five aspects. This parartha statement, which is called panchavayava vakya, is composed of five uh, aspects. Pratikya, hetu, udaharana, upanaya and nigamana. Pratigya is that what you can say that hypothesis or whatever statement that you are giving. Mountain has fire, you are telling. And then you are giving the cause of it because it has smoke. Then you are giving an example. Whatever has smoke has fire. Like for example, in a kitchen you see smoke coming out. There is fire over there. Similarly, the mountain is also on fire. That is Upanaya. and hence you conclude that the mountain is on fire so nigamana is a conclusion pratigya is that statement that you start with hetu is the cause udaharana is the example that you give upanaya is a confirmatory statement so is the mountain and hence the mountain is on fire nigamana is a conclusion that you give so this is what is is uh, you know comes under parartha anumana when i am talking to you when i have to this this is very useful in scientific reasoning i am sure ayurveda students uh, when they learn about research they write all this they make a hypo they make a statement and then they make a confirmatory statement and conclude saying this is why i declare that this is that particular ailment or this is the dosha that has been imbalanced because of these symptoms it happens similarly when this happens and hence i declare so forth so when scientific reasoning or scientific statements are written this is how this a particular statement has to be written so in anumana why i brought it here is because i didn't bring it there because this also talks about false cognition we were looking at viparyaya and vikalpa and hence i brought it in this particular context and upamana is analogical condition i draw analogies between two things i compare two things and then i draw analogies out of it 
Okay. And Shabda. Shabda, Aptavakyam, Shabdaha. What is Aptavakyam? It is, Shabda is a sentence of a reliable person. A reliable person is one who speaks the truth or fact. Aptas tu yatharta vakta. Vakyam tu padasamuhaha. So what it says, a reliable person is one who speaks the truth. A sentence is defined as a collection of words or morphemes. And the understanding that is caused by the knowledge of the sentence meaning is called verbal understanding. Vakyartha jnanam shabda jnanam tatkaranam shabdaha. The instrument of such a cognition is called shabda or sentence. So when you had a question in terms of agama, it is given out by a relative, you know, given by a reliable person. And a sentence is formed by that reliable person. And whatever knowledge is derived out of that sentence, that is called a Shabda Jnana. Because we make out the meaning. And there are also in Nyaya Shastra, there are also uh, aspects of what a sentence is composed of. What are the various components? How does that uh, reliable person construct the sentence in order to invoke that knowledge in you? There are more some details are available in the Nyaya Shastras. So that is why it should not create any erroneous cognition. It should not create any hallucination or brahma. It should create the right understanding. And that is why the Shabda Pramana becomes a very important aspect. So we looked at, uh, uh, you know, Pramana, Viparyaya, Vikalpa, which is imagination, which does not have a corresponding object in reality. The fourth Vritti is Nidra. Abhava Pratyayalambana Vritti. Abhava is absence and pratyaya is a cause or it is also in some texts it is translated as the cognition or what we are perceiving and support is alambana and vritti is of course the vritti is nidra is sleep so deep sleep is that state of mind which is based on the absence of any content we cognize the absence so samskaras are caused by some kind of an experience as we have already looked at if there was no experience during sleep you wouldn't be saying i had a wonderful sleep so it means that some kind of an experiencing was going on and that is why some samskaras are formed there. And that is why we are also cognizing something in sleep. And hence it is called a vritti. Some mental process is happening during sleep. And the commentators talk about the state of sleep compared to a meditative state. The state of sleep is a very tamasic state and it is filled with darkness. Right? When we say tamas itself, it means darkness. There is no awareness. There is no brightness over there. And hence, it is different from the goal of yoga, which is called Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. There seems to be a cessation of thoughts, but it is not the state of yoga because it is filled with darkness. It's a very tamasic state. And when you wake up, you don't wake up, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a complete awareness or transformation that happens. It is more in terms of some refreshing that happens. And sometimes you could even wake up very tired and feeling very, uh, you know, not so great about the sleep that you had. So if the tamasic element that covers the intellect during sleep is accompanied by a measure of sattva, a person feels very refreshed and lucid upon, upon wakening. If it is accompanied by rajas, then a lot of dreams happen and it's a very restless state. And if it is not dominated by sattva, if it is completely tamasic, 
then we feel sluggish and tired upon awakening. However, if you see in the Chandogya Upanishad, there is a slightly different view of this. So there is no resolution as such between the philosophical systems in terms of whether sleep is a state of meditation or whether it is just a tamasic state. There are different views of it. Oh, Somya, let me explain to you the concept of deep sleep. When a person is said to be sleeping, he becomes one with the Sat and he attains his real self. That is why people say about that is about him. He is sleeping. He is then in the self. So the Chandogya Upanishad talks about the sleep as a state very close to the self. So it is a slightly in contrast with what is mentioned here in terms of it being a Vritti. But if you look at the neuroscientific studies, there are a lot of studies that have been done on sleep and meditation. In fact, um, we have a, we know a very excellent researcher in, uh, in Bangalore. And she actually works on, she has a sleep lab there. And she also works on deep meditative states. And she might be a good person who can probably talk about the difference between, uh, very nuanced differences between sleep and meditation. Uh, in terms of a neuroscience perspective, of course, the yogi can very well uh, experience it from uh, his or her own experience. So neuroscientific studies show that there is a predominance of uh, theta and alpha waves during meditation, while sleep is characterized by delta waves. And in fact, we were having a discussion at uh, home as to how do we differentiate this particular state of uh, sleep and the state of samadhi. And, uh, you know, there were some, uh, you know, insights that we were drawing from conversations uh, here. When, when, we are in the, when we go through this process of sleep, there is, of course, some rejuvenation that happens. But in terms of the parinama, samadhi actually brings in a lot of parinama. It brings in a certain nirodha samskara where there is stillness for a prolonged period of time. There is also no perception of time passing. So for some people, they could be in days and weeks in Samadhi, but not have any perception of time. But of course, they might wake up after the state of Samadhi and say that I was in a deep state, that Pratyaya could probably be there or it may not be there. But what happens is that there is a huge chain that happens even physically and even to the mental states. So that Nirodha Parinama happens, the Samadhi Parinama happens in the state, when in deeper states of meditation, which is in contrast with the state of sleep. The state of sleep is still what happens if you look at the state of sleep that we all go through. It is, a, it is in tune with the circadian rhythm. When the sun rises, you wake up. When the sun sets, after a while, you go to sleep. Even the hormones, the neurotransmitters in the body responds to the cycles of the sun. And when it is dark, when it is 9 o'clock, 9.30 or 11 o'clock or whatever is our own cycle, we automatically go to sleep and we cannot, uh, it is not a voluntary process. We completely shut off. But in the state of Samadhi, a lot of volition can also be exercised and one can consciously enter into the state of Samadhi. Now, these are some you know, differences that can be communicated verbally. But uh, people, uh, some of you who have the experience of meditation, you clearly well know that sleep is something very different from the state of meditation. And sometimes during meditation, we might fall asleep, but then we gather our awareness and then experience this deeper states. But I'll show you a video. Uh, video. Very interesting.
Now, this is a video uh, um, Paramahansa Yogananda entering into Samadhi, very nicely described. Yoga is not magic, sword swallowing, or crystal gazing, but it's the art of super living, as discovered by the ancient sages of India in 1500 BC. If the Western brothers only could learn the methods of the yogis, then they would learn to live 100 years in perfect health, happiness, and great success. You people do not sleep correctly and allow your sleep to be disturbed by the mental movies of dreams. You subconsciously worry about unpaid bills and troubles. The reason for lying in this posture is to keep the internal organs floating in the tray of the chest and abdomen free from any pressure. But by closing the eyes and in a relaxation, I can remain asleep several nights. And by opening the eyes and recharging the body, I can keep awake several days. Now I will go into the state of superconscious bliss by lifting my eyes higher in our relaxation and controlling my heartbeat. So in this video, you see Paramahansa Yoganandaji entering voluntarily into the state of Samadhi. And there are very interesting videos by Swami Rama as well, where he describes how he is able to control many of the movements, including heartbeats, what we think as involuntary, he is able to control them. And he enters into deep states of Samadhi, which when they measure it is clearly different from the state of sleep. So modern neuroscience and studies are definitely helping in a way to understand from a third person's perspective the difference between sleep and the state of samadhi or even meditative states. Then you, you in your own abhyasa and sadhana, you will also be able to make some inferences to this. So with this, uh, we will conclude today's class uh, because there is, uh, when we take up the next one, Smriti, there is a lot more, so some more clarification has to be given in terms of how the memories are formed. And uh, uh, somebody has a question here, whether the heartbeat lowers or there is no heartbeat. There have been demonstrations of both. Swami Rama's heartbeat uh, they showed he was able to stop it for about 17 seconds or something. There is a video on that, which uh, you, I'll, I'll probably share it in the Google Classroom. So different masters have different, you know, demonstrated different uh, states where the heartbeat has also stopped. Some people, uh, you know, have exhibited states where the doctors believe them to be completely dead because all the vital parameters were sort of uh, gone. 
but then they were completely uh, you know deep into meditation and then there is also these uh, discoveries that they often uh, that come in terms of they find the bodies of uh, the yogis or the buddhist monks in deep states of samadhi who are still alive but the body is sort of really really old and there are also uh, methods like the kaya kalpa which help to keep the body intact so that one can be in that state of meditation for many many uh, years so that way there are many techniques in the indian tradition when we look at the uh, the tamil uh, siddha tradition the tirumandiram talks about so many different kinds of states pranayama practices meditative practices and all that and there is a wealth of knowledge with respect to the states of samadhi and uh, you know meditative states so as uh, time proceeds we will try to take some of these texts and also draw some parallels and develop a deeper and deeper understanding of this yogic uh, process so practically we haven't gone into the yogic uh, aspects as such uh, because the good part of uh, the uh, samadhi pada talks about these cognitive aspects and the linguistic aspects as well so that we develop an understanding of what is reality through the eyes of a yogi so that one is able to transcend this and then experience deeper states of samadhi and eventually you know undergo this process of kaivalya so let us close with a prayer and then i will uh, take questions or om loka samasta sukhino bhavantu loka samasta sukhino bhavantu loka samasta sukhino bhavantu om shanti 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 ओम श्री गुरुभ्यो नमः हरि ओम समबडी इज आस्किंग फॉर द गूगल क्लासरूम लिंक आई आई शेयर इट इन द चैट बॉक्स I do understand that the Yoga Sutra can get a little heavy, and also the Vyasa Bhashya, some aspect of it is uh, slightly difficult to understand. But uh, with through these sessions, it's a process of uh, discovery for all of us jointly. So if, if you stay with these sessions, I'm sure that we can co-discover some of these uh, nuances that Vyasa Maharishi talks about and Patanjali Maharishi talks about. It has already started getting heavy. I know, I know. <laughs> so with the with the Tark and the Nyaya, all these Vedangas getting involved. Uh, just one thing: uh, the Tark Sangrah book is written by whom? You said I didn't. Uh, the Tark Sangrah is a text written by Annam Bhatta. A modern Annam Bhatta. A modern translation is available by Professor V N Jha. It's a very relatable uh, translation. Professor Jha has written the translation. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank it's a very reliable you. translation. I think in archive the PDF is available. Yeah, but now archive.org has changed its settings and uh, oh, okay. down downloading is a uh, is a tough task. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize uh, that. 
But we'll of course, to... this book probably is also available on Amazon or. Yeah, I'll I'll search for that because you'll have to get subscription and then uh, oh, okay. there are so many things they have done. Right. It's a very relatable translation, but what I've practically seen is that some of these uh, things come uh, handy because uh, when we go through this pratyaksha from uh, you know anumana and all that, uh, somewhere we feel that a little more clarification will help, and then the other philosophical system actually add to the clarity of this but and, uh, uh, yeah sorry you were continuing please no, no, please yeah. you know, so uh, the other shloka you said ati durat samipya sorry that is from uh, not tarkasangra sankhya karika yeah this is from uh, sankhya yeah and the translation is uh, by swami virupakshananda of ramakrishna matta Okay. Ramakrishna Ram Krishna Mission or Mat? Ramakrishna Mat, Mailapur is what is given, but it's, uh, you know, you can order it on Amazon. I had ordered it on Amazon. Okay. Sankhya Karika. Of Ishwara Krishna. Mm -hmm. And the Sankhya is also known as Shashti Tantra because there are 60 concepts to learn. It talks about the various tattvas and about all these Pratyaksha Pramana and all that. So this Sankhya, how it is different from the Sankhya Yoga which Krishna talks in Bhagavad Gita? It yeah, is same. similar, similar, yes. Similar. Okay. It's the same philosophical system. But just that the Sankhya Karika is like, uh, what you can say, it's like the... A treatise uh, on it. A treatise, but it mainly brings out the uh, terminologies involved. Okay. So, so, so... So, a Swadhyay on Sankhya Karika would be better? Yes, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there are, I am sure there are a lot of scholars who have also released a good number of videos on Sankhya Karika. You can also check. But not many people actually speak about the Sankhya Karika. But, uh, yeah. Well, this, this translation by Swami Virupakshananda does good justice to it. More or less, you develop a good mental model of uh, this thing. The problem is, ma'am, that now we are living in, uh, in the Maggie civilization. Yes, Instant, know. two minutes. So, so that, that is why the jnana is given so that we can skip all these knowledge systems and straight away go to that Maggie moksha. Right, it's all the trouble of this Yasabhashya and scratch our head. Let's uh, meditate. <laughs> Somebody it's, uh, has the Tarka Sangraha, okay, Hindi, okay. You can yeah, share it. Yeah, please, please, please share it. Ganesh ji has some question. Uh, yes, ma'am. Actually, last week I couldn't attend. So I have a question regarding the Swapna state. Is it, uh, uh, can be uh, referred close to Viparaya or is it Vikalpa? Where would that belong? Actually, this uh, Swapna is not discussed much in the yogic, uh, this, I mean, the Yoga Sutra as such. It is discussed okay. in uh, Vedanta, I mean, uh, texts like Tattva Bodha and all that, also in Mandukya Karika or uh, Mandukya Upanishad. But it is not so very well discussed in the Yoga Sutra. It is uh, no category of that is uh, found. Okay. So, the Nidra that is referred is, that's, uh, that's Shushupti, right? Not the... Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It is in English, if you have to say, it is that non-REM sleep, non-rapid eye movement sleep. 
where there is no dream that's a deep sleep state okay yeah. thank you yes okay thank you ma'am and uh, thanks yogita uh, ji uh, i'm just sending my email id if yogita ji is part of the google classroom probably you can even post a copy uh, there yeah there there also it will be better and the vyasa bhashya translation scan i have put it in the google classroom for all of your benefit you can take a look at it yeah i i i saw that there but just one question you was every slide the slides which we are covering that only you are putting in the in the classroom yeah 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 the slides have a capture only a small part of the translation so the full translation i put it as scanned uh, this thing okay okay thank you thank you ma'am thanks everybody yeah i want question ma'am regarding this uh, neuroscientific uh, study Yes. Uh, what does this uh, waves that are measured uh, here i mean what does it indicate does it have any uh, correlation to the the deeper uh, states of consciousness or the realization of the self or it's still in the mind state just yes. yes the waves actually they do a lot of uh, studies uh, on uh, you know sleep state uh, waking up state and all that so typically what happens is that there is this rem sleep and non rem sleep and uh, during these states the waves are different so in deep sleep for example delta waves are released okay and in the waking up state there is alert conscious uh, state that is uh, beta waves are there okay? okay so higher perception learning problem solving and all that it is to do with the gamma waves so like that uh, you know this different waves are measured to understand what is basically going on in the brain when one is meditating or when one is sleeping or when is solving a math problem and so it's things. still a measure of the brain not the not the mind as such right because somebody sometimes we may interpret uh, brain activity to mind yeah yeah when when we say neuroscience itself it's to do with that uh, you know putting those electrodes or fmri or whatever it is yeah right okay there are also uh, topics like neurophenomenology which actually ta ta talks about how the experiencer can uh, develop the right understanding through some questions uh, through as a first person methodology so that will be combined with uh, the neuro studies the person uh, will also be able to train will be trained to describe one's experience okay in patanjali yoga sutram uh, uh, is is there any reference to where the manas or the uh, chitta located in the physical uh, body mm -hmm. there, there is no talk of the physical body much because okay. it's very, it's, it talks about a lot of psychological aspects and cognition there is not much emphasis on the physical uh, body it only talks about asanam and it talks about sthira sthira sukham iti asanam it talks about how the body should be stable it talks about certain impediments that the body may face but then it does not go too much into what is actually the body or how it is done that that those things have been figured out in the system of ayurveda where it where ayurveda draws insights from nyaya vaisheshika systems okay okay yeah thanks uh, kaustubi ji has a question नमस्ते श्रुति जी 
No, I was just saying that uh, Bina ji, I think, has asked a question about Sanskara. Uh, does samskara translate to impressions? Uh, yes, we, uh, I mean, at the moment, uh, that is what I am able to think of and that is what has been given in the uh, text as well. Uh, in a way, they are also habits, uh, though not directly, but they are also habits in a way because habits are nothing but those impressions which are formed deeply, which we uh, do involuntarily or voluntarily. So that also, but impression is the closest word that is mostly popularly being used. Um, so I have this thing. Um, thank you, Kaustabi, for taking up that uh, question on my behalf. So uh, for me, I think uh, because of the way the word samskara is used in my mother tongue, uh, I have this little what can I say, confusion as to uh, every time I hear the word samskara and, uh, and yes. So, so it's about, as I told you, all of the Indian words are polysemic in nature. For example, when yes. you say karma, it yes, is yes. a mean religion, it can also mean duty, duty. And in some texts, for example, in Vaisheshika and Nyaya, dharma is used in the terms of the quality, the characteristic, that word is also means dharma. So, yes, I think dharma is a word that causes a lot of confusion when reading the Indian scriptures and uh, Bhagavad Gita because we uh, grow up listening to loose translations of such words and uh, in a specific context it becomes really sometimes confusing to correct, correct. understand. But thank you, thank you for... What is that word in your uh, native uh, this thing? What is the meaning? I mean, what is... Samskaram is uh, being very um, cultured, refined. Oh, like okay. in Hindi also they say, you know, both samskari log hain. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So okay. it's the same uh, reference in yeah. Telugu, which is my mother tongue. And then it's just samskara vantado, samskara vantado in a kutumbam, like that. And very cultured, high thinking, those kind of very refined people. Understood. Understood. So for me to translated to impression or uh, some kind of a habituated thought or mm. so I'm I'm having difficulty overcoming my the samskara, samskara that you have developed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. This is the yogic process, so stay with us for some more time. On <laughs> yes, indeed. So, 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 do you use this word su Sanskrit also? Uh, yeah, actually, Samskriti is a refined uh, thing. The samskara also, in a way, if you see um, uh, that, uh, for example, in another context, we use it in terms of the 16 samskaras that we have to do. Uh, yes, know, yes. So, because yeah. in, in Hindi, we use Susanskrit. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Susanskrit parivar hai. Sanskari okay, okay, okay. Uh, is more towards the religious and ritualistic uh, aspect of it. Oh. Is it okay? Okay, I'm not a native speaker, but thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think uh, it, it's, it's... Uh, uh, this uh, hair tonsure and uh, this uh, upanayana, yes, and yes. Uh, there are uh, like 16 shorashans, yeah, khorashans. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, it uh, like uh, we say that it uh, when we do these, uh, the energy blocks gets uh, removed. 
Correct, 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 correct. Mm. And the samskaras are nothing but which have been handed down also through the tradition. In a way, they are also representing impressions and memories that have to be created so that the life is fruitful. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, I mean when you said that it's the repeated memories. So I was thinking about Upnayana, uh, that how it really translates into that. But then I think I'll have to think uh, hard and fast on it, and then probably next time I'll I'll have such certain questions. I'm sure. And I'm sure I'm I know deeper delve into the etymology of the word samskara can also help sometimes. Okay. Yeah, samahkara, it is samskara. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> really, thanks, thanks, ma'am. Thanks for this wonderful Thank opportunity. You. Namaste. Thank there you. Are other questions. Thank you. And meet in, uh, meet next Saturday. Namaste. Okay. Thanks. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.